Well, good morning, Church on the Trail. We are so happy to have y'all with us. Today we have a very special guest with us to help with the announcements. This is Dad, otherwise known as Mike Fortenberry. He's going to tell you what's coming up at Church on the Trail. Hey, good morning, y'all. I want to tell you about the 412 Student Cookout tonight at 6 o'clock. If you need to know where to go, all you have to do is go to the church website under the events page. You'll find the address there, or you can look right there in your worship guide. And more importantly, if you have any other questions while you're here today, all you have to do is ask this guy or email Stephen Fortenberry. He hopes to see you there. Hope you have a good time tonight. Our very first VBS is coming up fast, so come join us as we take your kids on an epic adventure that explores God's goodness. The dates for this event are July 10th through the 12th from 6 to 8.30 p.m. and are for children of the ages of 4 to 11. You can register your child on our website and make sure to fill out one registration form per child and hurry up because registration is closing soon. Also, there will be a volunteer meeting for all VBS volunteers tonight at 6 o'clock. So for any other additional information about Vacation Bible School or the volunteer meeting, all you have to do is contact Allison. If you have made Jesus the leader and forgiver of your life, then taking the God Plunge is your next step. If you are interested in participating, you can visit our church website to sign up for our next baptism on July 21st. There will also be a Kids God Plunge party the next Sunday, July 28th. So, you can contact Allison Judah if you would like to sign up your child. Hey, I also want to remind you about the Columbus Mission Trip coming up on uh, July 14th through the 21st. Come join us right here in our own city as we partner with multiple organizations to serve our community right here. There are all kinds of opportunities that you can sign up for. You can visit our missions corner in the lobby to register for any events that interest you. We're also still in need of cases of water and school supplies for the week, and you can drop them off at our missions corner anytime. Hey, attention all parents. Uh, parents Night Out is coming up on uh, July 26th from 6 to 10 p.m. right here at Church on the Trail. So, if you'd love to have a night away from the kiddos or you just need to get some school shopping out of the way, sign your child up now. Feel free to drop your child off and pick them up as you please. Now, the event is open to one-year-olds through 11-year-olds. Uh, Dinner is provided, but if you plan on bringing a, a one-year-old to a three-year-old, make sure to provide your own snack or dinner for them. Admission is $10 per child, and you can visit the church website under the events, pay, uh, the events page to register. So if your child's over 11, sorry. In the seat back in front of you, you will find one of our connection cards. If you are a first-time guest or just want to tell us a little bit more about yourself, please take the time to fill one of these out, and we'd love to get to know you. And hey, real fast, if you have any other questions about these events that are coming up or anything else about Church on the Trail, all you have to do is visit the Connections Desk out in the lobby. Well, good morning and welcome to Church... <laughs> My eyes are whipped out, so... <laughs> what? Are we going? I didn't know you were going. All right, I'm about to go. You got to be ready. All right. Our very first VBS is coming up fast, so come join us as we take your kids on an epic adventure. The ex. That's I'm a punch in the face. Good morning, y'all. That was weak. Good morning. And let there be light. 
Bruce Almighty. Um, but I want to welcome you all here if this is your first time. My name is Ed Griffinhagen, by the way. I'm one of the pastors on our staff at Church on the Trail. And if this is your first time, I want to welcome you. Uh, and if it's not your first time, I want to welcome you here. I know God has got every person here for a reason. I think he has a, a, a message, a very uh, appropriate, pertinent, relevant message for us this morning. And we got folks checking in online. And so we want to welcome them as well. We're we're in the second week in a series uh, about relationships, and not just relationships, not what Dr. Phil says about relationships or some uh, self-help guru person, but we're talking about what is the Scripture, what is the Scripture, and the Lord through the Scripture, what does He say about relationships? And we talked about uh, uh, kind of what guys want last week, and this week, it's not so much what women want, it's really um, what women wish men knew about them based on the book. And, uh, and uh, years ago, my dad said to me, <clears throat> he said a couple things to me. He said, uh, he said, he said, son, he said, he said, women want to be loved and they want to be listened to and they want to be needed and they want to be trusted. And son, sometimes women, they just need to be held and guys just want tickets to the Braves game. It was some sound, sage advice from my dad. And last week, Richard talked about, masterfully spoke about, talked about what guys want. If you remember, do y'all remember what he said the number one thing men wanted? Do you remember what it was? Were y'all listening? Say again. Respect. Men want respect. According to the Bible, men are cre- were created to serve, to, to protect, and to, fulfi- to find fulfillment in the things that they do and be respected kind of for that. And in Genesis, Adam was created and he was placed in the garden, Genesis 2 says, to work it and to keep it. And when Adam and Eve sinned, God described, in in chapter 3, described how Adam's life would be from that point on in in a fallen world. And he said in verse 17, he said, And to Adam he said, he, God said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth to you. Hold that thought about thorns and thistles for a minute. And you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return." All the time today, men, we struggle to be fulfilled at work. And it all started with that curse in the book of Genesis. You know, guys, do you get frustrated at work? Let's just say, let's just say you're a mechanic and you get total fulfillment from taking a busted engine or part of an engine and repairing it and fixing it. And it's this project and when it's done, it's, it's fixed and it's repaired. And if the boss would just leave you alone and let you do your job without all this other junk and all this micromanagement, you could do that and you could finish that and you could, I hate to say, check it off on the list, but it's the fulfillment of, the, of finishing that project and, and, but all these outside things are messing it up. Those are the thorns and the thistles that God said are going to happen. And I don't care what, what job it is. Those thorns and thistles get thrown at us and it's hard for men to find fulfillment in their work and that's what is the result of what happened in the garden. Since then, the world has been a a messy and kind of a mixed up place and we were not designed to be that way. 
but it all changed in the garden. We weren't designed to struggle through these thistles and these thorns. We were designed to accomplish things. And Richard talked last week about how women have got to understand that men were designed that way and women have got to understand and be aware of that respect for the accomplishments that men uh, accomplish is the fuel that kind of men run on. And that's not some modern psycho babble stuff that's straight out of the scripture. Ephesians 5.33, and he had this verse on the screen last week, says, however, however, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Guys want respect. This week I'm going to talk about what women wish guys knew about them. And I, I told them this morning when we were praying out there that I feel wholly inadequate to, to talk about that answer because most of my adult life I have been a guy. That didn't come out right. I'm, I'm a guy. I've always been a guy. I've always been a guy. But the Bible, it is so clear, and it is, it's, it's just crystal clear uh, that men and women were designed differently, differently, with different needs, not superior and inferior, not the same, though. We were not designed the same. We were designed differently. We were we were created differently. What is it that women were designed to need and why? That's where we're headed today. In a perfect biblical relationship between a man and a woman, how is it that a man should act towards that woman? And I want to give you five or six sort of points, but first I want to talk about what has been called the crown of creation. You've probably heard that term, the crown of creation. If you look at, ge- at creation in the beginning of Genesis, you got light and darkness and water and plants and things of the air and things of the sea, and then finally he creates man. And some folks think that Adam was created on the sixth day, and then God took a day off, and sometime later as some afterthought, uh, he created Eve. That is not what the Scripture says. Verse 27 of Genesis 1 says, So God created man in his own image, in the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. And God told them, not him, God told them to subdue the earth and rule over it. Chapter 2 of Genesis goes back and looks back at chapter 1 and gives more detail. It lets, chapter 2 lets us know that after creating everything else, that God caps off his creation by creating Adam. Right? God created Adam, and he put him in the garden to work it and to care for it. God made Adam in the image of himself. Men were designed to reveal the very character of God, which is a strength that serves and protects. And then after each day of creation, God said, it is good. Right? Y'all read that in Genesis. He created this. It is good. And now Adam is here, the man that everything has kind of been building up to. Job done. It's over with. No, the job's not done. The Bible tells us that he looked at Adam and he said for the first time in this creation account, this ain't so good. This may not be quite right in, in chapter 2 and verse 18. Like something was missing. There was still one more step in this whole creation thing, and God made Eve still on the sixth day. He made her 
also in his own image to reveal the very character of God in a little different way than man reveals the character of God. Different, each unique, but each revealing the character of God in a little bit of a special way. Together, the two of them become whole. Susan and I bring very different things to the table. Not better and not worse, but we bring different things to the table. She reveals to me different characteristics of God because God breathed life into her. And I, and I reveal to her a little different characteristics of, of God because he breathed life into me. So what is it that Eve was designed for? Adam was designed to serve and to protect. What is it that Eve was designed for? The English Bible, your Bible, says that Eve was designed to be Adam's helper. And our definition in 2019 of helper is a little twisted. It's really not, that's really not the best translation of that word, that Hebrew word. That Hebrew word literally, literally means lifesaver or one who's desperately needed to come alongside of and partner with. That's really the fullness of that word that's de- defined or that's translated helper. They would reveal to each other, Adam and Eve, and thus me and my wife, the character of the God who created them. And then once Eve was created, God looked again and he said it was not only good, but what did he say? It was what good? It was very good. Think about that for a minute. If each step of creation is a little higher and a little bit closer maybe to God's heart, what does the Bible tell us when it makes such a point of saying that Adam's aloneness was not good, that there was one more step to take. You could almost argue that Eve was the crown of creation, not Adam. This would be my opinion, is that the crown of creation is this perfectness of the garden, pre-fall. This perfectness in the, in the man and the woman in relationship with each other, um, almost replicating this relationship that they have with the Lord. That union, that, that relationship is really the crown of creation. And so with all of that kind of said, how does the Bible say that women should be treated and why? And I want to give you five or six points. Before we talk about how women are designed um, to work, let me clear something up. Throughout history, and we all this, know this to be the case, women have often been second-class citizens. A common morning prayer for a Jewish man has been for a long time, thank you, God, for not making me a Gentile, a woman, or a slave. That is not the role that God intended for women. And it's sad that throughout church history, the church hadn't done a whole lot better to right that wrong. In fact, it often encouraged that with a twisting around of Scripture. Y'all know people that twist Scripture around to, to rationalize their behavior? That's been done for, for 2,000 years. Look at Ephesians 5.23. Paul said, For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. Does that mean that the man is the boss? Does that mean that the man makes all the decisions unilaterally, that he is the brains of the relationship? We know that that's not the case. But does it mean that he is the boss? Let's set one thing straight. That is not at all, not at all 
what this verse means. Guys, don't go into a relationship with a woman with the understanding that your word is the final decision for everything. Let me know how it works out when you say to your wife, Susan, I'm putting my foot down. And then she cuts your ankle off. I mean, that, <laughs> that is not what that verse means. That is not the relationship that God intends between a man and a woman. And the word that Paul uses here for head, he had a, he had a, he had a, a number of choices, two or three different choices of words to use for head, he used the word kephale. And kephale, really it means one who prepares the way. One who prepares the way. And Greek historians use this word in a, in a military sense. And this word refers to the point man. The point man who's responsible for leading a patrol through the jungle. He's not commanding that patrol. He's not commanding it. He's leading it. He's going first. He's going into the danger because his role is to protect his team from harm and to get them safely to their destination. My role as a man and a husband and a father is to get my family safely to the destination. And the destination is there. That is a kafali to be ahead of that family. What does that mean for us kind of today? You notice that the Bible says that the husband is to be the point man for his wife. Not the point man for his work. Not the point man for his video game. Not the point man for anything else in life. He's to be the point man for his wife and family. My, my wife, your wife, is the mo outside of the Lord the most precious thing in my life. My highest priority. And so I am to use and you are to use your strength to protect her. To protect her. That's what being the point man is. It's not lording over her. It's protecting her. And a woman need have no fear of the strength of a good man. Adam was right there next to Eve in the garden when she was tempted. The Bible says that she offered the fruit to Adam who was beside her. It didn't say that he was a mile and a half away and she needed to text him that some snake was trying to get her to do something. Adam was standing right next to her when that happened. Did he protect her? No. He failed at his job and he saw it happening. He saw it happening. He failed to step up and take point. Does that make sense? He's standing right there. How does that role of, of, uh, of protector, how does it kind of translate into action? What, is, what does it mean? Susan and I don't have daughters, never had a daughter. Um, we have two sons. I think God blessed us with not having a daughter because I would, I would hate to be the 16-year-old that takes a daughter of mine out on a date. And so I think God kind of knew that, and he gave us two sons. And we tried to teach our sons that the, the girls and the women that they would date at some point do have fathers. And they do have fathers that probably sit in a chair with a shotgun across their lap. They do have fathers. And I, we would try to tell them to be a knight, K-N-I-G-H-T, be a knight. You know, the, the, the characteristics and traits of knighthood are good. Chivalry is good. If you're raising a son, there's a book, and it's probably 25 years old, called Raising a Modern-Day Knight. It's a fantastic book. You ought to read that book. Um, but we wanted our kids... Biggest compliment I ever had, one of the biggest, was from somebody who saw one of my kids on a date open the car door for the girl that he was taking out on a date. And I know that's not a big deal. It's not a big deal. But it's part of that whole way of looking at, at the relationship. And I told the, our kids, as their relationships move towards marriage, it is your job, Zach, to be a protector. 
to protect her spiritually. That is what it means to be the kafale of a woman. And that is exactly what Christ did for the church. Just two verses later in Ephesians 5, in verse, is 23 still up there? No, protector. Verse 25, Ephesians 5. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and what? Gave himself up for her. Being the head is not about being in charge. Being the head isn't about telling women the right thing to do. It's about taking the lead and doing the right thing. Being the head is not about the love of power. It is about the power of love. And it is said of Cyrus the Great, if you all ever heard of Cyrus the Great, he was kind of the founder of the Persian Empire. He had captured, his, his, his folks had captured a prince and a prince's family, the prince, the princess, and some kids, and he brought them before him. His guys brought this family before Cyrus the Great, and he says to the man, what will you give me if I release you? And the man said, I'll give you half my wealth. And he says, what are you going to give me if I release your children? What are you going to give me if I release your children? He said, I'll give you everything that I've got. And he says, how about if I release your wife? He says, I will give you myself if you release my wife. And so Cyrus was touched by what this prince said about his family and about his wife, and he let them all go. And they're on the way home. The prince, the princess, and their kids are on the way home. And the prince says to his wife, wasn't that Cyrus a suave guy? I mean, wasn't he like a handsome guy? And with this look of deep love for her husband, here's what this princess said. She said, I didn't notice. I could only keep my eyes on you, the one who was willing to give up your life for me. Y'all protect your wife. Protect her, number one. Number two, let her, allow her to watch over and inspire you. Women watch over guys. And I'm not talking about a woman who nags and complains because that's not biblical. It's not biblical for a guy to nag and complain. Allow your wives, your women, your ladies to watch over you and inspire you. And I'm talking about the nurturing nature of the female. They're wired up to nurture. When I know that Susan is praying for me, And you know what? I know that she's praying for me all the time, even when I don't even know that she's doing it at that moment. And it fires me up to know that. It gets me going physically. It gets me going emotionally and spiritually to be a better man, to be a better husband, to be a better father. Just the thought that she's thinking about me and praying for me, I'd run through the wall. And that inspirational character of a woman is part of the character that they were given By God, just knowing that God exists should make me as a man, you as a man, want to be a better person. And the closer that we become to God, the more, the better we would strive to become. And and, and you'll find that, uh, that motivation, that inspiration in the right woman. And let me encourage you, if you have not found that, if, if you have a woman that you believe that you are falling in love with and maybe she's inspiring you in the wrong direction. Maybe you find yourselves do, yourself doing things that you even vaguely may be ashamed of. I'm talking to men again now. Then, then she's not the right woman. The right woman will inspire you to, to break down doors to lead. Wait for the woman that, that makes you want to be a knight in shining armor. And I know that sounds... Cheesy, hokey maybe, but it's not. 
It's not. Wait for that right woman and then let her watch over and inspire you. Number two, number three is this. Treat her as an indispensable equal partner. An equal partner. Verse 22, Ephesians 5. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Does that sound equal? Does that sound equal? No, it doesn't. Don't, don't lie. It doesn't sound equal. But that's another verse that's been totally twisted around. What does that verse mean? Does it mean that men get to tell women all the time what to do and a good Christian wife? Be a good Christian wife. Do what I tell you to do. You think that's what God would have for me to, to do, it, do and say as a man? No, that is not what it means. That verse is reminding women to submit. Y'all hear me out on this. That verse is reminding women to submit because women may need reminding in that area. We need reminding to put the toilet seat down. They may need reminding in that area of, y'all didn't think that was funny a bit. Like not even the smile. I guess I went from pretty serious to trying to be funny. But here's what men do. They forget the verse immediately preceding that that says submit to one another the man to the woman, the woman to the man, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ and just go straight to verse 22 that tells the wife to submit to the husband. It goes both ways. And what does submit, what does that word really mean anyway? And that Greek word is hupotasso, and it's another military term that really kind of emphasizes, hear this out, it emphasizes the idea of working together for the common for some common goal, standing in the ranks together. And the way that this word is used in this verse, it makes it clear that Paul is pleading for wives in verse 22 and for both husbands and wives in verse 21 to give their allegiance to each other. Not for the husband to control the wife. And at this time in history, the Roman army was really conquering the known world and not smart bombs and and tanks, but with the courage and the strength and the integrity of men working together in military formations. And one of the one of the, the, the most popular, I don't know if that's the right word, most famous formation that they used was called the tortoise, where men gather tightly together, shoulder to shoulder, and, and they they lock their shields together as a unit shaped sort of like a tortoise and they can they can wheel around and turn together as a unit and they become impenetrable because the shields are locked together and they're moving and shucking and jiving together as a unit. That word that's used there means to stand in support in the ranks. The individual gives up his individual rights to protect and strengthen the unit. That is what we do in a marriage. I'm going to give up some of my individual rights to protect the strength of the union that I have with my wife. You know, Jesus, this idea of equality, Jesus inaugurated a new paradigm for women. And Paul said this in Galatians in chapter 3, in verse 28. He says, very, very famous uh, verse, that there's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free, There is no male and female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. So we are of equal value. Equality does not mean sameness. Do you all understand that? 
We are different. Men and women are different. I don't care what the world says. We, don't, we are not born gender neutral and then we, somebody votes on or we decide what we're going to be. We are born male, we are born female, and we are different and we are equal. Somebody needs to say amen to that. We are equal but different. We bring different things to the table. So, so number three, we are equal. Treat your wife as an equal, indispensable partner. Number four, don't think for a second that she's weak because she is not weak. So there's one last verse. Again, it's been twisted over the years. First Peter 3, 7 says this, Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. And there's a comma there. And then he kind of tells us a little bit of what that means. Showing honor to the woman is the weaker vessel. Bible says she's weaker. Hold that thought for a second. Showing honor to the woman who is the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life so that your prayers may not be hindered. Remember, today we're talking about how men need to treat women. Many men, many over the years have used that verse to tell women that they're weaker physically, morally, spiritually, intellectually as well. And that verse means nothing of the sort, other than maybe a little bit generally weaker physically. A, a better translation of that, those words, really weaker, and it's interesting that he uses the word vessel there, like an earthenware vessel, like a, like a, a vase or a, or a pot or something. And he uses this word for weaker. Better would be finer or more precious or delicate. The same word is used to refer to plates and, and china kind of things. And there was, there was the plain, rough, strong, heavy-duty earthenware plates that you use every day. And then there was this fine porcelain china that you protect and you save for, the, for special occasions. Better, better, finer, or more delicate. God created men and women together on the sixth day of creation. We talked about that. He told them, not him, to subdue the earth. This verse underscores that joint partnership, and it reminds men that women are made of finer things than they are. They are. They're made of finer things. Susan is made of finer things than I am. And they should be protected. So number, number uh, four, don't think that she is weak. Number five, pursue her passionately. Often a man's worst fear is being thought of as a failure, and a woman's worst fear is to be abandoned and alone. Women define themselves in terms of their relationships, and men often take that as a weakness, and it's, that it's lame to place so much of your self-worth on on, on, on the strength of your relationships with other people. But remember, this desire for relationships that is so inherent and intrinsic to women reflects the very heart of God. God's greatest desire, it isn't for us to be obedient or righteous. His greatest desire is for us to be in a relationship with Him. Women are designed to reflect the heart of God's most central desire. And we see this in Jeremiah chapter 29 as it relates to God. 
Verse 13 says, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Men, you've got to be part of that. You need to work on the relationship. Women want you to communicate with them. They want you to listen to them. When Susan and I debrief our days, which we do, we come at it from wildly, wildly different perspectives. When she asked me, I want, want you all to answer this. When Susan asked me, how's your day, what you reckon my answer is? How many words do you think it is? One. She asked me a question. By God, I gave her the answer. Okay. My day was okay. Rarely is she going to get some emotional commentary about how the things of the day made me feel. She's working on the relationship, and I'm trying to answer a question she asked me. That's the way I'm wired up. That's the way men are wired up. But when I ask Susan that same question, I find, because I'm a researcher, I find that her answer is very different than mine quantitatively different and qualitatively different. Her response is detailed, highly, highly detailed. And it always includes comments and commentary about how this or that made her feel and what she's concerned about this or that and somebody said this and somebody and there's a problem here and there and I want to jump in and fix the problem. That's what I'm supposed to do. I spent 15 years solving problems every day for 12 hours a day for 150 real estate agents. I'm a problem solver and a fix-it person. That's what I do. Guess what Susan doesn't want? She does not want the problem fixed. She just wants to be heard. She wants her feelings to be validated. She wants to be encouraged. Women need to feel like they've been listened to. Truth is, not like deceived into thinking that they've been listened to, but listened to, in fact, which means giving them our full attention. Women want to know that their partner is actively listening with body language and nod, you know, nods of the head and yeah and mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, let me tell y'all men, I've been together with my wife for 38 years. We started dating when she was 14 and I was 16. Way back in the day, 1981, November the 13th. Isn't that sweet that I remember the day? I saw her at Peachtree Mall. And I actually, I told my friend that I was with, I was 16 years old, I said, I'm going to marry her. It's the first day I saw her. So that was a sweet awe. But let me tell you, that was the good. I'm going to tell you the bad. Eight or ten years ago, man, this is what not to do. I got home from work, 12-hour day, I was pretty tired, sat in my chair. Most men have a chair that's theirs. I sat in my chair. There's an ottoman in front of it. Susan sat down on the ottoman. Our faces were about that far apart. And she said to me, how's, was your day? What did I say? It was okay. I said, how was your day? What did she say? She's talking, talking, talking. In the middle of her talking to me, I fell asleep. Mid-sentence, I fell asleep. I woke up to, I know you didn't fall asleep while I was talking. Men do not fall asleep in the middle of your wife's sentence. But I did that. I did that. So, number five, pursue her path. I've never done it again, you know. <laughs> Trust me, I've never done it again. Toothpicks in the eyes, baby. I've never done it again. Number six, lastly, show her that you see her beauty. The Song of Solomon, chapter 4, verse 9 says, You have captured my heart with one glance of your eyes. Women don't have to try to be beautiful. All women are created uniquely and crafted and created by God. But women do get to choose whether or not they feel safe and that they can safely reveal their unique beauty to the world. 
And that only happens in the midst of a trusting relationship. It only happens when they believe they have beauty to offer to the world. Men, don't try to conform this woman to some preconceived idea of what you think beauty is supposed to be. Provide the security, provide the protection for the woman that they need to reveal their unique God-given beauty that he's given them. This is what the strength of a good man is for in a relationship. To free a woman's spirit. To say to this woman, you don't have to be tough. You don't have to be hard. I'll protect you. I won't hurt you. You're beautiful just the way you are and you're special and I adore you and you'll never have to go through anything alone ever no matter what. You can trust me to take care of you. Just be yourself. Just be yourself. What's your favorite color? On the count of three, y'all tell me which favorite color is. One, scream it out. One, two, three. One more time. One, two, three. Okay. Nobody, I don't think, screamed out my favorite color, which is not odd when I tell you what it is, but nobody screamed out my favorite color. I want to paint a picture for you of my favorite color. Every now and again, I am like so privileged to to witness this certain sunset, this certain way the sun looks uh, when it is really beginning to drop behind the horizon of a beautiful pasture or of, of a beautiful field, particularly a wheat field as it's disappearing back behind that horizon. And it's this, this sunset that I think it's on the screen. Flip to the next slide. Oh, it is. No, no, that's good. So this, this incredible color, it paints everything. This sunset paints everything this incredible brown It's exactly the color of Susan's eyes. And I get to see it not often. I remember one time we were in Colorado in an RV, and I saw this sunset, and it's the color of her eyes. And I love to look into her eyes. You go ahead after church, and you look at her. Look at, at, and she's not in here. She's volunteering in the Tots area. You look in her eyes, and you'll see that sunset that I got lost in 38 years ago at Peachtree Mall. Now, if you're a guy, don't do that. Because you might get lost in them. I'm teasing. But guys, let her know she's beautiful. Not Susan. Let your wife, let your partner know that she is beautiful. Have you ever noticed that a woman can, can break down your defenses? Make you almost, and we're not really emotional creatures, but make you almost an emotional basket case. And the same thing is true of the Lord. And you'll find that if you haven't already found this, as you draw closer to the Lord, your heart will begin to soften. As you draw closer to your wife, your heart will begin to soften. And that's uncomfortable sometimes for men, but it's a good thing. We can learn about the very character of God as we learn about the women in our lives and the women that he has created. You're not going to find it a surprise that God made women beautiful. And we're drawn to that beauty like a moth is drawn to a flame and it's attractive. And this too is a character of God that is given to women. Men ask themselves, do I have what it takes? And women ask themselves, am I worthy of being loved? And your job, men, your job, and I think we can take everything we talked about today and wrap it up into this. 
Your job is to show her and not just tell her that she is worthy of that love. I believe that is what women want us to know about them. And if you're a young woman here and you are not in a relationship, be careful to make sure that it is your own inner beauty that you give to men. You don't get your beauty from a man. If you have a daughter, make sure she understands that, that she is beautiful independent of what some guy says. And whether or not a a, a knight in shining armor rides up on a white horse for you, God is there for you and you are beautiful. Do you ever wonder, do you ever wonder why Satan attacked Eve and not Adam? Remember, before the fall, Satan was the most beautiful of all of God's creations. Satan thought himself worthy of worship apart from God, right? And then God created woman, beauty incarnate. He created woman, designed to be desirable. Satan was not designed to be desirable. Woman was designed to be desirable, designed for relationship, designed to model the relationship between mankind and God. Woman was designed to model that for men. Satan has a special hatred of women. Genesis 3.15, God is speaking God is speaking to Satan, and he says there will be enmity between you, the serpent, he's talking to the serpent, and the woman, between your offspring and hers. Satan is the destroyer of all that is beautiful. Satan brings death, and woman brings life. Woman brings life. Woman brings beauty and relationship. Women are especially hated by Satan and especially loved by God. Y'all pray with me. Follow God.